today. I've got uh, Miriam Wells, who's head of strategy and creative at Ogilvy, and uh, Nino Tessurero, uh, who's chief counsel at Ogilvy. And Miriam and Nino were the authors of a report on ESG believability, which was published recently. Miriam, if I could just start with a broad question, what are the key findings of this report? What's the idea behind it? Well, the key findings are that while consumers rank um, ESG commitments and the communication of them as important, they're less likely to reward a brand for doing the right thing and much more likely to punish a brand for doing the wrong thing. So we found that whilst consumers were perhaps reluctant to pay extra for a brand that was, you know, doing the right thing by the environment, by its people, its communities, etc., they were likely to boycott a brand for doing the wrong thing with 53% saying that they would do that for a brand that behaves unethically. So we think there's not only an opportunity for brands to position themselves and build reputations around ESG commitments, but really it's about, I guess, proactive defence, shoring up those reputations, making sure that you have credits in the bank so that in the event of uh, an issue that you've got consumer reputation really sort of buttoned down. Nina, the, the report found that Australian businesses generally don't communicate their ESG progress and initiatives particularly well. What's the relationship between the way ESG initiatives are communicated and the impact that has on consumer behaviour? I think that businesses do focus on the long term because to make considerable changes in the sustainability and social impact space, it takes time. But at the same time, consumers want action now and they're frustrated. So there is a disconnect There's a common purpose, I suppose, of uh, both businesses and the community wanting to do better, but there is a breakdown in that connection and that conversation simply because businesses are not able to move at the pace that consumers would like. So in that regard, uh, even with the best intentions, if businesses are not communicating effectively and taking consumers on the journey it will have a negative impact on their reputation. There was reference in the report to a Boston consulting group piece of research that looked at the ASX 50 and the impact on share price from ESG announcements. What examples were there of companies successfully announcing things and having a positive impact on their share price and announcements that they got wrong? So the Boston consulting group research found that when companies made announcements, it didn't necessarily generate favourable market and valuation reactions. In fact, in many examples, it did quite the opposite. So in order to make climate and sustainability announcements more effective, uh, the BCG found that, that the positive outcomes were when companies grounded their core business strategy and style of competition, how they differentiated and created value and how they communicated that was most effective. Also, the BCG research found that when companies are transparent around or about cost-benefit trade-offs, it can have a positive impact. And really, the core of it is that effective communication about how actions and commitments are integrated into a company's value creation agenda uh, really helps to improve 
the understanding and the reputation and the impact of those those announcements of the companies. Do you think the public has a good read on what what's legitimate and what's not? I think that's that depends a little bit on how you define public as an audience in this circumstance. So I think it, it comes back to community communications planning 101 who's the audience we want to be communicating with yeah. what's the you know think feel do outcome for them and how are we tailoring messages to make sure that they are appropriate engaging but importantly based on you know facts and evidence which emerged in the study as a really key element in what makes leadership communications in relation to ESG believable. It was the second just behind um, leaders following through on promises. So consumers, the public, they want to see action. Mm. Um, and I think the sort of urge from brands and organisations not to undermine good intentions is, oh, we've got this thing, we're committing to it, we're very excited about it, it's got this you know potential to have great impact or create value in terms of an ESG dimension, rush to communicate that, but without perhaps the evidence or the follow through of what those outcomes and impact is going to be. The study results indicated three key elements that made ESG um, leadership communications believable. The first one was that those leaders follow through on their promises. So that action piece is really critical. The second was that they provide accurate information based on facts. So, you know, greenwashing is a big no-no as, uh, you know, the recent coverage of um, the ACCC, ASIC, APRA, their commitments and even following through on greenwashing fines will attest to. Um, And the third one... that ranked the highest was the show that they show integrity, doing the right thing no matter what. So having the interests of the community and the full value chain at the heart of those commitments. So I think there's an element of you know people wanting to see action and follow through, but I think there's also an element of literacy. So when we're talking about ESG, you know, lots of consumers wouldn't even define the terms using using that acronym. I think there's really differing understandings of, you know, what it means to be socially responsible, what it means to be environmentally responsible, how are you measuring that, mm-hmm. carbon credits, is it about scope three emissions reductions and net zero targets and the Paris Accord. And it's such a complex space mm. and consumers find it hard to kind of navigate and so do organisations. There's not a single environmental reporting standard in this country and I think that kind of creates a bit of a, a trust um, or believability deficit, a gap between what businesses are trying to do, even the ones trying to do the right things based on good intentions and what the public really sort of believes or understands about those kind of measures that they're taking. I mean, it begs the question, why hasn't Australia introduced, you know, standard practice in this space? It's clearly complicated and it needs to align with what's happening globally. Yeah. So I think that it is a chicken and the egg thing here, but there is no reason why we couldn't be leading in this space. And in particular, it doesn't necessarily just have to be uh, on the carbon uh, side of things. When you're looking at measurement and verification in yeah. the circular economy, you're absolutely right. There are opportunities to provide clearer frameworks in Australia uh, so that we can progress faster. That is an opportunity. But it, it takes more than one organisation to do that. It probably does really need government to lead this, yeah. but from a consumer perspective. The report found that most consumers want to see executive remuneration linked to ESG targets, with 40% saying business leaders should only receive bonuses for achieving these goals, and a further 40% saying 
that these should be awarded based on financial performance and ESG progress. What are your thoughts on those findings? Look, I think it's it's not new. Larry Fink from um, BlackRock oh. has put CEOs on notice for years mm. saying that financial returns are not enough. Businesses, as we know, have a huge impact on society and on, in, on the environment. And so as a leader in businesses with that scope to do, you know, great great good or potentially huge amounts of harm, you need to weigh the value creation um, and potential for impact, not only through a financial lens, but through a social and environmental one. I think it's also, um, you know, really puts the G in ESG under the microscope. So that governance piece that environmental and social responsibility, commitments, initiatives are nothing without the leadership to follow through on those actions to adequately measure, report, iterate, set commercial strategic agendas um, and, and then drive forward in a way that weighs the responsibility to stakeholders and the community mm. more broadly together with shareholders that, you know, Financial returns and focusing solely on that is short-termism and it doesn't guarantee a sustainable business or no, planet. No, but it's definitely it's an interesting mechanism to hit business leaders in the back pocket. But just following on from um, Nino's point about standardisation, do you think it would be fairer for standardisation in reporting practices to be introduced and then look to impose these types of... I suppose you could call them incentives or... Well, I think they could be introduced now. Uh, whether or not people believe they're accurate and genuine, I think would depend on how those things are implemented mm. and measured. But I think, you know, there's been a, a discussion for a long time around things like gender diversity and leadership, that what is measured is worked towards. So if um, ESG commitments and actions are important to your organisation and to the, the community and consumers and shareholders that you serve they should be measured at the top and leaders should be accountable for that. I think it's also recognising that responsibility and, you know, impact initiatives are not a thing, not a button that you turn on at the side. It's not owned by communications or marketing solely. It really needs to be, and the BCG research that Nino spoke to earlier does sort of support this. It needs to be... um, engineered into the kind of DNA and the operating strategy for the organisation so that it's able to be appropriately resourced and that the value and opportunity can, you know, be realised. Okay, so final final couple of questions. For me, uh, probably one of the most striking findings was um, men are two and a half times more likely to say ESG commitments are unimportant. What's going on there? <laughs> I think it's a really interesting finding. Uh, what it does demonstrate that if you want to develop and when you need to develop uh, an effective communication strategy, you need to take that into account. Mm. So your messaging towards men does need to be different and it needs to really, I suppose, unpack what are the barriers there that are creating that level of scepticism compared to uh, the, the women who, who uh, responded more positively. I think it also comes into play when you think about you know, who is the audience that you're that, that you're tailoring? Um, and certainly there's going to be nuance across gender, mm. cultural, um, language, 
um, sexual orientation perhaps, you know, um, immigrant backgrounds and, and of course, age. There's always multiple ways to kind of cut a sample. But I think in light of that gender finding, the the skew, you know, what that doesn't say is that you know, women tend to be, according to our research, a little bit more bought into the, the conversation already and considering that women still overwhelmingly balance the household checkbooks, mm. um, tend to over-index on being, you know, the grocery shoppers and making significant financial decisions for the households that mm. they are in. Uh, it's not something to be sort of underestimated in terms of uh, how much your key consumers care about these issues. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting point. In terms of what's driving consumer choices, do you think ESG will ever trump price and quality? Ever is a long time. Okay, to think about. A long five time to ten, price. that's a no, fair point. No, I think um, the economic conditions we're seeing yeah. put price in an abs- under an absolute microscope at the moment. I think, you know, bottom line, as, and especially in Australia, consumers mm. are extremely price sensitive but I guess the way to think about ESG is not in terms of influencing consumer behavior directly but that kind of halo effect of brand reputation and whether or not they feel good purchasing from you working with you partnering with you defending you etc L'Oreal has done some really excellent category leading work in the ESG space they've been a first mover on a lot of issues before things were legislated. And I've heard uh, leaders of that organisation talk about their environmental and social commitments as uh, a way to kind of smooth over the cognitive dissonance or friction of being price sensitive. So at the end of the day, their customer wants a well-priced mascara. They want it to be good value. They want to feel good using it. Now, if L'Oreal can sort of front up and say... We're doing the right thing by the people who work for us, the communities we operate in, the sustainability of our supply chain and our environmental impact. Then you're going to feel good about yeah. using that that mascara instead of a bit icky. Mm. You might still buy the mascara if it, if it you know was from a brand that wasn't doing the right thing. I think we're still seeing um, fast fashion brands explode in terms of, of revenue, but I don't think that they nail that feel good um, feel good impact from consumers buying from them. It's kind of a grudge necessity and you don't want to turn a, a great consumer interaction into a grudge purchase if you don't have to. You know, Miriam, thank you both so much. It's been a pleasure having you here and thanks for talking about your ESG believability report, which is available on the Ogilvy website. Is that correct? So, yeah. yeah. Ogilvypr.com.au. Go there. All right. Thanks both. Thanks, thanks for having us.